0: Hi everyone, this is Kim C and you're listening to the year of underrated Stephen King. This is a one woman book podcast brought to you by a university fiction teacher with a great passion for literary analysis and giving a longer look at the King titles in Shadow and in Spotlight. Speaking of Spotlight everyone, today's constant reader interview is the brightest shiny diamond. This week, I was working away on my Blaze episode when I got to chat with my lovely guest, and it was so awesome and totally terrific. I had to pause Blaze coverage for just a smidge in order to bring this gentleman to your ears. Before we get going, I have a little bit of introductory homework for all of you, and I think this is an assignment you will totally love. So before you begin this interview, you're going to go to YouTube because the constant reader in today's hot seat is none other than writer, director, producer, and actor in one of the most wonderful, thorough, educational, and simply amazing Stephen King web series, The Stephen Kingdom. So let's type that into your search bar, the Stephen Kingdom, let's like it and subscribe immediately, and let's click on the first episode entitled The Magic of Stephen King, where you will meet David McCracken and see his genius and passion for Stephen King's writing, And then you got to watch the Carrie episode. And then my personal favorite, as you all know why, the 1922 episode is simply the cat's pajamas. And we definitely need a cat around for all those rats about. If you know, you know. David is a highly decorated academic with a bachelor's and master's in creative writing and a master's of fine arts from the University of Southern California in the School of Cinematic Arts. He wrote, directed, and starred in the 2018 feature of Bullet County and collaborated on the PBS web series It's Lit. I love that program so much, huge fan, which is what started the Stephen King snowball rolling down the hill. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't express enough what a lucky girl I was to have the opportunity to chat with David about our mutual love for the king's written word. Friends, this is truly an early Christmas gift, an overflowing holiday miracle. Make sure you spend some time with the Stephen Kingdom, especially the 1922 episode, in order to make the last part of this interview extra fun, and then come right back to enjoy this wonderful constant reader interview with the immensely kind and inspiring david mccracken all right friends i'm so excited to introduce my next guest my next constant reader interview this is writer director filmmaker david mccracken welcome david
1: Thank you for having me.
0: McCracken, is that a Scottish name?
1: Uh, I think it's Irish, but I th- yeah, because it's an MCC. But I think there are Scottish McCrackens as well.
0: I wanted to kick off this episode by talking a little bit about your YouTube series that was launched last year, just in case some of the listeners haven't discovered it yet. Can you tell us about the Stephen Kingdom and how that came about?
1: Sure. The, the Stephen Kingdom is a YouTube series about Stephen King and him as a person, um, his works, and also the influence that he and his works have had over popular culture and just culture in general. We use his books as like a springboard to talk about other issues as well. We, we like to think of it as if you're a Stephen King fan, it's perfect for you. But even if you're not, you'll still learn a lot. That was always kind of our angle is, entertainment by way of education. And um, we got started on it. I wrote for a YouTube series from PBS called It's Lit, Princess Weeks and Lindsay Ellis and a and whole team at PBS. And we would just do different episodes about different uh, genres of literature, different authors. And I think at some point around Halloween, a couple years ago, they wanted to do a Stephen King episode. And uh, I very, very happily... Uh, volunteered to do that one, and as Stephen King does, I also way overwrote the episode, and it became really long, and I, we had to cut it down. And at some point in the episode, I'm, I wrote in a joke that said he's got so much work, uh, he's got such a breadth of work that you could devote a whole YouTube series on him. And then, so it was just kind of a throwaway joke, but then uh, it was it became one of their more highly rated uh, and highly watched episodes. And uh, in the comments, there were just a lot of like, was that a joke? Are you guys actually going to do a series on him or what's going on here? So I, Lindsay had mentioned at, at one point, she was the writer host of that show that maybe I should try to undertake that. I clearly love him and love talking about him. And so it kind of started from there. I just thought about it a little while me and my producing partner, Josh Reedford, we had been kicking around a lot of feature ideas and things like that, what our, our next feature would be after our, our first one called Bullet County. And COVID hit, became very difficult to to film anything with any crew of any size, and so that's why we thought, hey, well, you know, we could do this in a small contained crew, and we could actually do this all ourselves. It's YouTube; we could just put it up ourselves. We don't have to worry about a distributor. So it was just like a meeting of a of, of a lot of different circumstances and things that just coalesced. I never in a million years thought I would do a YouTube show, but it has proven to be just very very fun and always different because. Stephen King his works just run the gamut of of tone and genre and so we can just kind of play with that and and have fun with it and present it in any number of different ways.
0: I'm a huge fan. I pretty much was smitten kitten from the very first episode and there's so much love and layers and education going on in this and they're also really cheeky and very funny so i'm just super excited for more people to view them so my first question to kick off this interview is how old were you and what was your very first stephen king title
1: i came to stephen king actually through the the miniseries it so i was kind of more of a I was very scared as a kid and I was more drawn to to kind of sci-fi like Michael Crichton and that kind of thing. And and Stephen King and one of the things we go into in the show a lot is that he's just so synonymous with being a horror writer that especially when I was young, I hear Stephen King and I, I just didn't want to hear anymore. It scared me. Just the I, just the name. And so I I was more kind of influenced by his not being able to escape him in popular culture because that it miniseries would come on. I was, I was six years old and it was on main, you know, just on TV, on ABC, I think. And they were promoting it all the time and you'd see Pennywise the clown and it scared me. And then I remember going to see the movie Twister and they, they show the bits of the shining on the screen and just seeing the twins there scared me. So I was like, not able to escape him. And I had friends who would read him uh, and I just, was so scared of Stephen King growing up. But eventually, I came to read his dramatic stuff first, probably uh, late middle school, early high school, Shawshank Redemption and and The Body. And I just, I, I was so captivated by his writing. And then eventually, one summer, I took the plunge and I, I read The Shining. I thought, I'm just going to read it outside by the pool, broad daylight. See, it won't scare me. And you know, it is, it's scary, but it was just, it was his writing. It was just so eminently readable. And so I, at that point, you know, I was, I was getting more into horror. And again, it was just like a confluence of different experiences for me where I just, I kind of let my guard down, like was open to horror and then just loved his writing so much that then I was just a fan from, from there on out.
0: Oh, we have such similar stories. I love it. I have visceral memories being a child, like six, seven years old. My dad was a King fan because King was super big in the 80s and I'm an 80s baby as well. And my dad had all the hard covers and he had Misery, the original 86, 87 cover with the the silhouette of Annie (laughs) Wilkes. And I was always mesmerized by that cover, mesmerized by it. I was always looking at it as a kid. I'd pull it out and look at it. And I was the same. I never wanted to read scary things. And then after I finished my MFA, completely burnt out of literary fiction and all the beautiful prose written by depressed alcoholics. I mean, we love it, but it it was done. And then I picked up Full Dark, No Stars and 1922 changed my whole life. Because like you said, the writing is on another level. And when you're studying the craft, it just grabs you by the heart instantly.
1: It's it's like this with movies too. I feel like where you know you know something's great and it is great and it it is just so enriching to read it or watch it. But it does feel like work sometimes. And Stephen King very, very rarely feels like work. It always is exciting to just open up and read and get lost in, in his world. Even if it's just the world we know and it's pretty straightforward and normal, it is his writing that's just so readable and, and just carries you along.
0: One of my older roommates named Liz, she was a huge King fan and we always said, every time we pick up a Stephen King title or a novel, it feels like we're really hungry and you're gonna sit down to a very good meal.
1: That's a good way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> and
0: it's it's just so accurate in the way I feel after I'm done. Like, I have been fed. I have been nourished. This was wonderful. So, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. My next question is, in the film realm, as a filmmaker and creative yourself, do you have a favorite Stephen King adaptation?
1: Yeah, th- this one was a hard one for me when you sent the questions early because I feel like... I categorize his adaptations, but also just film adaptations in general in terms of like how different are they from the books or how similar are they? I I think they're both, both kinds of adaptations are so impressive to me in different ways because, I mean, we've all seen so many adaptations that just do not work for a number of reasons. Maybe they do stick too close to the book and that's the problem, or maybe they stray too far. And I found that like adaptations of his work have worked in both ways. The Shining's, you know, a great example. right? It's one of my favorite movies, but it is not a very loyal adaptation to that book at all. But I've never been really precious about book adaptations because to me, and I think Stephen King says this is something similar, is that the book still exists. It's not like an adaptation of it erases it from existence. So if you don't like an adaptation of one of his works, the book's still there and it still lives in your mind. And so, you know, yeah, maybe that, the movie just totally missed the mark and maybe you really would like to see somebody do the dark tower, right. Or something, but it still is a book, but yeah, in terms of adaptations, uh, other adaptations that I really like, I mean, stand by me. I love, um, and, and it is pretty close to the novella and I actually like that. It doesn't really take the parts from the novella that are the cutaways to his, his novel. Cause I always felt that those were like the parts that slow that novella down, but obviously they don't do that in the movie. And uh one of my favorite adaptations of his though is Dreamcatcher because it is just bonkers. It's like <laughs> they took a book that shouldn't have been a movie, they made it into a movie, and it's made by like so many people at the top of their craft. And it results in a an incredibly bizarre. Bonkers movie that really doesn't work, but I I love it all the same. And I mean, it's Lawrence Kasdan directing it. I mean, he wrote *Empire Strikes Back* and *Raiders of the Lost Ark*, and he's directed a number of movies like *Body Heat*. And then William Goldman adapted the screenplay. He's the one who wrote *All the President's Men* and *Butch Cassidy*. The cinematographer is the one who shot *Mad Max: Fury Road*, and I mean, the cast is crazy with Morgan Freeman and Thomas Jane, and it's just wall to wall just talent at the top and they're doing just like a crazy movie about shit weasels and alien (laughs) i just love it it's crazy
0: (laughs) i love it i haven't watched it yet because i haven't read Dreamcatcher yet it's one of the alien kings i've been putting on the back burner but i can't wait now
1: yeah it's weirdly faithful to the book in a lot of ways which i guess is part of the problem but why it's so incredible at the same time
0: I hear that novel is like, oh yeah, that's the painkiller book. Like he was just, <laughs> he was just hopped up on pain meds and writing this thing by hand.
1: I know it's really, it's a really interesting book because, you know, the reputation is not so great for it, but I remember reading it, knowing the reputation was not great. And it reads, the beginning is very much like it. It's, you know, the friends and and like, it. it is very much a coming of age story. And I feel like it does feel A couple hundred pages in, the painkillers kick in. And then (laughs) aliens pop out of people's butts and then you go, okay, (laughs) that's the oxy.
0: (laughs) So looking forward to it. So looking forward to it. At this point in time, with this glorious collection behind you and such a wealth of knowledge, how many King titles has your journey taken you on? Are you someone who's just read them all or have you kind of cherry picked around?
1: I've not read them all. Partly because weirdly um, making the show takes away a lot of reading time and whatever episode we're doing and, and, you know, we're always like way far ahead of of what's on uh, the the channel. I have to just read whatever we're covering a lot. And so it's like full dark, no stars. We started adapting the novellas in that or adapting is the wrong word, I guess, covering or examining. But I found myself, I mean, reading that multiple times and and really studying the stuff. But I'd say somewhere, including like all his nonfiction and collections, I probably read somewhere in the vicinity of 50, 60. I'm over half. But I mean, part of it is too that even though he has so many, you do just kind of want to take your time with it. Like you were saying with the meal, you don't want to gorge yourself. You want to pace yourself a little bit
0: totally i am someone who when a new one comes out i always like all right we'll see you maybe next year a couple months yes i agree (laughs) the marathon not the sprint (laughs) (laughs) my next question is about what you've experienced as a reader are there any titles that you've noticed you love but not a lot of people love and vice versa. You just hate this story or novella and everybody's like, it's the best.
1: <laughs> yeah, I um, my favorite King book is Hearts in Atlantis. It was one of the first that I ever read. And I think it was the same summer as The Shining. And I think it was partly because it looked like a summary book, but um, I've always loved his dramatic stuff and, and Hearts in Atlantis just hit me, I don't know, at the right time. I've reread it a bunch, I love it. But I don't hear a lot of people talk about that one. As far as one that I don't really care for, that a lot of people seem to like is The Outsider, I really did not take to that one very well. Because I I remember that was one I did read when it came out, and I think it's like 150 pages of depositions where you're like, okay, let's, let's, (laughs) transcripts. let's move along. And, you know, I don't know if we could talk spoilers on books and things like that. But uh, I remember reading the the dust jacket on that. And they said, like, you know, there's there's a guy that he's like an airtight alibi and he was in two places at once. What could have happened? I remember thinking, well, it's probably like some monster that shapeshifts. I don't know. And it was. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was wrong because that's kind of <laughs>
0: Yeah, Outsider. I agree. That one's a tricky one because the first half is very, very crime fiction, like really police procedural. And you're like, okay, all right, I'm vibing with this. And then it just goes supernatural. So I I do struggle with that one a little bit Mm -hmm. for that dichotomy. But oh my God, I'm so glad you said Hearts in Atlantis. Wow, that one is a gem. Oh, you
1: like, it? yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those, I think, I'm getting ahead of myself, but when you, well, we could talk about it later, when you talk about what would you um, recommend to readers who aren't King fans or aren't familiar, that's always one.
0: Low Men in Yellow Coats is extraordinary, and that film Hearts in Atlantis with the young Anton Yelkin, mm-hmm. I think he plays Bobby Garfield, just crushes my soul in a vice. Oh, yeah. Anthony Hopkins, like that whole story collection is just so soaked with pre and post Vietnam. And it just, mm-hmm. it's a heart smasher. It's really, really good.
1: Yeah. It's, um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm a big crier in movies, but books, it's tough to get me to tear up. And that one always does. Always does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love crying in movies. I love it. <laughs> That's how I know it's a winner. If I'm like dabbing or I, but I'm a quiet crier because I don't want to interrupt the viewing experience for everyone else. So it's very hard when you have to sniffle, but I love it. <laughs>
1: just allergies.
0: <laughs> My next question for you I love this one. It's just an open question. I just put it on all constant readers. What are your thoughts about the Dark Tower?
1: I love the dark tower. It's yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. That is, that is one you would not recommend to a non King fan. Cause <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because you it weirdly can read them out of order. Um, and I think a lot of people, it's kind of like with star Wars where they recommend maybe don't start with a gunslinger. Cause it is so odd and it's so different than, than some of the other ones that come after that. But I always feel like the dark tower is one of those things that you don't when you're reading other King works where Dark Tower stuff shows up, like Low Men in Yellow Coats, like I think they talk about the beam and Ka in it. And I remember reading that before knowing what the Dark Tower was. And I remember thinking, well, that's weird, but it just there's a lot of weirdness. So it just kind of fits and you just think it's world building stuff. But then when you have read the Dark Tower, then it has a whole new meaning. And so I feel like the Dark Tower, you don't need it to enjoy King stuff, but it definitely enriches it if you are familiar with the Dark Tower.
0: I'm on my first time through it. I just finished Wizard and Glass a few months ago and I'm still recovering. That, that was wonderful but very tragic and mm-hmm. beautiful and incredibly rich. So I think I might read Wind Through the Keyhole. Mm-hmm four i know that's very rebellious but i think i'm gonna do that because i've asked other constant readers and they're like it's fine other people are like no you should do it canon and don't read it till the end but i'm like i really want to stay in this wizarding glass zone a little longer i really do
1: oh yeah that's the thing yeah and again like they're Just it's so expansive that you can read it in any order, really, and just get something different out of it. I I don't know if you've read the um, or seen the Marvel adaptations. I think it's Marvel that did like graphic novels of uh, the Dark Tower, and they're really good as well.
0: I want to check those out. I was told by a friend to like, don't look at those yet because you'll want to read ahead and and then you'll know, you'll know the end. And I was like, okay, okay. So I try not to look at it, but as soon as I'm done, I'm going to get all of them. And I've seen various pictures from Mm -hmm. some of the art. That's the word, the art. I've seen, (laughs) (laughs) I've seen some of the art. It's pretty extraordinary. Just seeing Susanna and DePape.
1: Oh, right, right.
0: I'm excited to hear that those are good as well.
1: Yes, they are.
0: My next question is about a singular Stephen King character. Do you have someone in mind who you would like to see another novel for, either a prequel or sequel, very much like Danny received with Dr. Sleep? Is there somebody who you want more of or an additional title?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I when Dr. Sleep was announced, I was that was my big one is I did want to see like what happened. Yeah, because it's such a traumatic experience. And you just want to know that maybe Danny's okay. And so that that was always I was very excited about it. And I don't I don't really know if people uh, what the consensus is on Dr. Sleep, because I feel like some people really don't like what he did with it. And some people love it. I loved it. That's another cry book that I, I did cry at the end of. And so that was like, a you know, oh, well, my prayers were answered. There you go. But but I think, yeah, there is something about like his kid characters. You would like to see what happened to them grown up. And so Charlie from Firestarter, I've always been curious about like h- how things uh, panned out for her. Same. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Same, she's nine at the end of that book, right? Yeah. Like, oh my yeah. God. Do you have any King titles? You mentioned sort of rereading Full Dark No Stars for the Stephen Kingdom. Have you reread any of the other titles or which are the King titles that get that reread and what is that secondary experience like?
1: Yeah, um, again, I feel like a broken record, Hearts in Atlantis, uh, The Shining, I, I just find very rereadable. I love uh Different Seasons is one of my favorite just titles of his in general. Um, and you know, the novellas are great because they aren't just gargantuan undertakings like the stand or it are. And so you can, you know, reread them again and again. And I just think that one, pound for pound, is just some of the, his his best stories all in one one volume. So those are, yeah, those are the ones, it is funny, like for, for somebody who's written so much horror, I just, I'm just so attracted to like the stuff that's not straightforward horror, but still horrific. I mean, being wrongfully imprisoned in Shawshank Redemption, when you know you're innocent, that is true horror.
0: I love it. I love different seasons as well, but the one that, oh, Apt Pupil absolutely wrecked me.
1: And it's scary too. I mean, it's thrilling. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very intense
0: the human darkness, like human evil is something that I think King does exceptionally well in addition to Gothic horror and all that good stuff, but human evil, I love different seasons. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I have pupils in there. Great, okay. So (laughs) (laughs) I struggle with it a little bit because it's so powerful. It's so disturbing. It's kind of like a slime trail in my mind a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there are some books like that that make you just feel icky at the end of it.
0: Hundred percent, and so it's not often. It's not often, but every now and again, I'm like, when I encompass the title in my mind, I'm like, oh no, okay, <laughs> we're just gonna <laughs> tiptoe around that one. Yeah, summer of corruption. Summer, just- I was just
1: gonna say it's the summer one. Yeah,
0: <laughs> let's uh, let's go away from that. My next question, in addition to piggybacking off of disturbing King stuff, do you have a favorite Stephen King villain or villains?
1: Yeah. Yeah. This was an interesting question because I, again, I I hate being the guy who's like, well, it depends on how you think of that, but it is, you know, there's the the villains that you kind of love to hate, you know, like Pennywise or, but in terms of villains that I think are these most interesting are the ones that maybe aren't straightforward villains. Like I think there's an argument to be made, obviously like Carrie just goes berserk at the end, but she's very much not a villain, but she is, it destroys a whole town and same with jack torrance you know he's just he's more complicated than just the villain so i don't even know if you categorize them i've always thought probably his the scariest creation that have always stuck with me for him and so i wouldn't call it my favorite villain is um rosie's abusive husband in rose matter i i found that but that talking disturbing books i found that that character very scary because he, he was a cop, so he had all these resources at his disposal, and he was so relentless. And just when you think Rosie's one-upped him, he just keeps pursuing her. And I just found that that character so scary.
0: Agree. Norman Daniels.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Awful. <laughs> awful. Oh my God, I couldn't agree with him. He's so menacing. And it's interesting because some constant readers find him a little over the top, and they've said he's kind of like a caricature. I didn't get that. I, didn't it. I thought it was incredibly real.
1: I mean, there are people like that. That's the thing is, is, you know, when you are like, have that feeling of being above the law, you do feel like you can do anything and you do go over the top. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, our world's filled with over the top characters. And I mean, I feel like just, I don't know, the last six, seven, eight years, it's just been, oh, I, I always hear people mentioning on Twitter or something like, if you wrote this in a book, it would the, some you get a note that it was over the top, like we just live in that world, and there are people like that, scarily.
0: So true, so true. Yeah, I read Rose Matter, I think, in in 2020. It was <laughs> perhaps an unwise decision at that
1: time. Inside, yeah,
0: oh man, yeah, there was a lot of existential dread those couple of months. So I also read Under the Dome during that time. Oh gosh,
1: <laughs> you're just leaning into the whole isolation thing, huh?
0: I think so. I think there was some real masochism against myself for sure but i agree norman daniels is absolutely monstrous and i'm so glad you you mentioned him because i think he's forgotten quite a bit pennywise and flag are usually the ones that dominate the conversation and rightly so they're extraordinary and huge and completely bombastic and wonderful but yeah there's some forgotten ones that are so great
1: yeah, that's why the yeah, the favorite villain thing is such an interesting way to phrase it. Because, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure you have this too, where there's horror movies or where you love rewatching them, because you're, they're kind of like, they scare you, but there's something about them that is is enticing. But then there are horror movies that are almost so effective for you that you de- just never want to see them again. And so yeah, somebody like Pennywise, you love to hate him and he he is just like you said bombastic people can dress up for him as halloween but i don't think anybody wants to dress up as norman daniels <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally i think that's perfectly said yeah that makes so much sense nobody's gonna put a bull mask on no <laughs> i hope <Terrifying.
1: laughs>
0: this next question is kind of a fun one it's a little bit whimsical but if you were to be stuck in any Stephen King setting? Could be the Overlook, Castle Rock. Do you have somewhere you'd want to get stuck for a while?
1: Well, you know, it was the first thing I thought of with this question, and it's absolutely where I wouldn't want to be stuck, is his uh, short story, A Very Tight Place, Uh (laughs) being stuck. (laughs) Anybody who's read that knows what I'm talking about. I do not want to be in in that place, but um, yeah, I I mean, most of his places are like you you don't want to be in them for any extended period of time, as as kind of alluring as they might be initially. Uh, Overlook, uh, of course, but again, it comes with a with a price of uh, you know going crazy, killing your family. <laughs> But honestly, I, I've always found, I love the world in 11, 63 in Texas. And I love, again, it's, it's a more of one of his more dramatic stories, but I just, that, that is just filled with nostalgia and nostalgia for a time I, ne- I never lived in, place I never lived in, but he just paints that world so well. I just want to, the whole premise of that book is that he wants to keep going back to this place and so king has to paint a place that you want to keep returning to and i do i i just think that whole world in in uh, eleven twenty two sixty three is just beautiful
0: oh i love it that's such a great answer i love that so much jody texas so precious
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you get a little bit of dairy in there when he goes up there and visits you know and sees the richie and uh Beverly, right? I think he's supposed to. So you get some dairy in there, too.
0: You do get some dairy. <laughs> did you like that adaptation with James Franco as Yeah, Epping, I think Jake Epping:
1: yeah, i did I did like it, and and that was one of those adaptations i I do feel like was pretty close to the book, and I'm glad they made it into a show because I feel like making that into like a two hour movie would have lost a lot.
0: Uh, we need a lot more just eight episodes or nothing freaking. Oh, yeah. for, for, <laughs> for All right. So I do want to kind of circle back with being a passionate King fan, talking to non-King readers. With constant readers, it's tremendous and we just get to, it's a language we speak when when we get to talk about these books and it's a really inclusive club. But one of the reasons I started my podcast was to academically look at King and show people, especially my beloved but snobby other MFA folk, that <laughs> he has so much merit and he should not be marginalized by the academic community. And and I think he's just as powerful as any classic novelist out there. So that was sort of my driving force. So when you talk to non-King readers, what are some of the questions you ask them to kind of appropriately prescribe the right novel for them? Or do you just kind of have a bank ready to go?
1: I, I generally, I think I think I go back to uh, kind of what got me into King because I do feel like I mean, if somebody's a horror fan, then Open Season, go for you know, like there, you can't go wrong. But I feel like the the one, and and again, it's why our first episode uh, of the Stephen Kingdom is is so devoted to what you were talking about, which is like he's not just a horror writer, quote unquote. I mean, he's so much more than that. And so I feel having been one of those people who who shut him off for so long because of that reputation, I always want to recommend something that's not just a straight down the middle horror book. And I feel like even though Hearts in Atlantis is my favorite, like you were saying, because he is, he's more than just a popular novelist too. He plays with the form a lot. And a book like that is so unusual because it is five stories, it's two novellas and it's three stories and they're not, they're interconnected through a theme and various side characters and each story is in its own tense and and POV. So I would pick something a little more straightforward and I'd probably do something like The Body or, or The Shawshank Redemption just because they're shorter. They, they're they just like a nice little way into Stephen King that are a little more straightforward. And I think people also are more familiar with those movies. And so it's just more comfortable to then dip your toe in the water and then, and then get into some of the weirder stuff after that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Advanced King section. Yeah. <laughs> I support that. That's awesome i'm so thrilled that you have such a love for hearts in atlantis because that is an underrated king at title and it doesn't get a lot of exploration and it is extraordinary but like you said it's a the little weird bunny it's it's mm-hmm. different it's very experimental but the theme ties it together and the passing of time is pretty extraordinary so i'm really glad there's love for hearts in atlantis because that one just needs more eyes on it it needs to be more mainstream for sure i
1: agree i agree 100 percent. and if we can help that excellent
0: right <laughs> our holy message may it be heard <laughs> <laughs> my f- next question is in regards to Stephen King females. I know that Stephen King, in my analysis over the years, I'm like, this guy's really a dude writer. If dude (laughs) writer is a thing, like there's a real masculine voice. But some of these female characters are absolutely unforgettable. And one of the projects or themes I'm really exploring is the women of Stephen King. I'm really looking at what he's doing with archetypes and the dark goddess and the victim and the revenge and and all this really fun stuff. That's kind of what's in my current stew pot. So this question is about your favorite Stephen King female.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, there's so many. I've always been drawn to... Uh, his kid characters and therefore I'm drawn to his girls as well. And so I do love, and I think maybe it's partly because we're still in the middle of doing so much with Carrie on the Stephen kingdom that I, I really love Carrie. And I think there's so much more to her than kind of what he initially thought. Cause you know, the whole whole story of he was writing it and then he hated it and threw it away. And then Tabitha rescued it and said, keep going and I'll help you with some of the female stuff. And, you know, he's mentioned in on writing about how he just felt her to be so unpleasant and just kind of like a victim. Um, but that's kind of the point. And it's it's like, you know, she is just a, a boiling tea kettle that unleashes at the end. And so Carrie's, I, I love her as a character, but it, it is a hard read because you do just spend pages and, and thankfully it's short, but you spend pages just seeing this girl get tortured from every aspect of her life, the kids and at school and her mother and so there is kind of a catharsis to seeing her go, you know, unleashed, even though it's it's still tragic. But I, yeah, I've, I found her to be more interesting the more we examine her in, in the show because she is, I think, more than just that surface level victim. Uh, and, and we mentioned Charlie uh, from Firestarter. I love I love her as well. I just love these, again, it's not just the girls, but the kids that just have these powers that they can't control. I think is is just so interesting you know you were talking about kind of the women as victims and there was that period i think in the early 90s where he did gerald's game and and rose matter like we talked about in dolores claiborne i i love dolores claiborne as a character but also as as a book because it is just one big monologue and i always like when king plays with the form so that's a character i i love but also i love her presentation in that book
0: I haven't read dolores yet i'm excited to but i love any time we get like the main accent and the main colloquialisms uh-huh. for a really <laughs> long time i just love it it's just so immersive because i'm a west coast girl so i don't know much about uh the east coast way of articulating things and it's just magical and i'm like what what what
1: <laughs> oh yeah I think there was, in that latest Firestarter adaptation, which was not, not great, but somebody's drinking a beer called Aya beer, the A Y U H. I thought that was good.
0: <laughs> that one's so wild. I had to talk with a lot of folks about how, how that's pronounced. It's wild. Yeah,
1: yeah. Aya. Yeah. It's in a pet cemetery a lot.
0: <laughs> with the Crandalls, with yeah. the shed, totally. Yeah, every,
1: every third word is Aya.
0: <laughs> But some of my favorite Stephen King short stories are those really Maine soaked island mm-hmm. ones, Mrs. Todd Shortcut and The Reach.
1: The Reach, yeah, I was just gonna
0: oh, say that. so good. We're just soaked in that Maine milieu, <laughs> or uh, on the ennui of that life. So I I have a lot of love for that. So I'm excited to read Dolores. But nice females, you have a really terrific list there. Well
1: there's there's no shortage of them. I mean, yeah, he 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 does for somebody like you said, he does have a masculine voice. he He is always, I think trying to challenge himself, you know to varying degrees of success. but I, I always appreciate that when authors really try to write outside their experience because it is all about empathy. and if he just wrote a bunch of straight white male characters, I think it would get boring pretty quickly
0: totally yeah and i'm really enjoying king in this last decade of works i've noticed a real Mm -hmm. big difference i think before not necessarily channeling the bachman way of writing but there's just a lot more like i'm gonna say what i say and i don't care yeah total devil may care in in the writing and it's kind of great because it is what it is and you're like all right this is the experience but in this last decade there's i don't know if it's just him aging or something but there's almost like a a different kind of softness and awareness mm-hmm. that's really powerful and i think that's explored a lot with holly gibney
1: yeah yeah i i agree i i think that especially if you know his politics and he is very upfront about it on twitter you just know that his heart's in the right place like even if he in in somebody's opinion, might whiff it or just doesn't stick the landing for some kind of character that isn't a straight white male like him. He tr- he tries, you know, and I and his heart's in the right place in in doing that.
0: Absolutely, keen observation indeed. My next one, I'm just staring wildly at this beautiful King collection you have. So this question is in reference to if you haven't already received a signed Stephen King novel what would be the one title you would take to get signed by him?
1: I have not. So this is pure conjecture, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, as much as I love hearts in Atlantis, like we've said, I think I would, I would go with on writing. Cause I, that, that to me is that, that's one. I'm, and I'm sure you, you as with such a background in writing is, I, I don't know how many times I've read that. And, and, and to, and pieces. But that one is as his memoir just also does feel the most personal in a lot of ways. And in the circumstances that he wrote it, you know, like after having that near death accident, if there's an urgency to it, and it's for somebody who has written so much and has lived such a life, it's very brief. And he it's so controlled as being both like, it's called a memoir of the craft. And so yeah, I just I think of all his books I would like like his signature on that one.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's so perfect. It is one of the most inspirational texts. It's just so great. It's mm. so great and funny. I think that's what I love so much about Steve is not only is he just this powerhouse of a creative mind in fiction, but he's just so funny. Like such a average Joe who's really cheeky and very funny.
1: Yeah, that, that was partly why we we uh wanted to inject our series with humor. I mean, it's not always probably the type of humor that Stephen King might have, but he is, like you said, really funny. And in in a book like On Writing, he does present something, a lot of very touching bits from his life and also great advice, educational advice, advice about life and writing uh, in funny and accessible ways. And yeah, nobody does it like Stephen King.
0: Yes, so perfect. My next question is about your top 3 or your top 5 in your Stephen King journey. What's on the shelf and kind of how and why did it get there?
1: Yeah, Broken Record, uh, Hearts in Atlantis, of course, The Shining because of it unlocked the the rest of his horror books for me. Um but also, yeah, I just feel it's one of his best uh different seasons because that one is just such a treasure trove i like mixing it up with some of his books that bring you into a a whole world and then others that just are little bite sized nuggets i would uh on writing of course i would also do skeleton crew uh the mist is one of my favorites but I also think pound for pound i think has his best short stories in that one my favorite ones anyway
0: so good such a great list i just read skeleton crew this year and there are some gems there are some absolute gems in there uh the reach is one that blew me away mrs todd's shortcut i also really loved uncle otto's truck yeah that was so cinematic for me and i couldn't stop thinking about like paul thomas anderson and there will be blood i don't know why i just (laughs) was like this feels like this could be that film
1: Yeah. And and again, it's like you were you were saying, I mean, he he is just such a writer that he does play with the form a lot. And I feel like that one, you know, it starts off with a novella. It has short stories. And isn't there like a poem in there as well? There is. I mean, it's it's so great that, you know, with somebody like Stephen King, he he really could, you know, publish anything. And he's and he's going for broke. And he's like, Mm -hmm. I've got a poem. I'm going to put it in there. You know, I can do this and I'm going to respect that.
0: So this is actually a rogue wave question.
1: Right, yeah.
0: (laughs) Off books. So being a filmmaker, writer, actor, if you had carte blanche to either remake a Stephen King adaptation or pick one of your favorites and do something for the very first time, is there anything that you would want to do a dollar baby for or have like a huge unlimited budget to do a giant feature?
1: Well, let's see. Looking behind me at the shelf, I would say, let's see, I, there's a few of them. Okay. So I I would like to do, um, I love the Langoliers and that if anybody's seen that, uh, many recently, it has not (laughs) (laughs) well in a number of ways. And I just love the, the, just the world that is devoid of people. And I love hearing the sound of them impending. So I, so I've always loved that. And I feel like that could, that could be uh, good for a remake. And I always think practically too, like, Oh, that also wouldn't cost that much money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I also would, I think Cujo would be a really good, I, I love the original movie, but I also, there's just something so primal about just an animal that is not evil. It's just rabid and that it's relentless. And I love just the being stuck in a car so close to being able to to get to safety, but just not close enough. I love that it's really hot in the car. So, you know, if you roll down the window, he's there. So yeah, I, I do. I do like, yeah, those two, I think would be fun adaptations. I also maybe don't have the confidence to tackle something so iconic, you know, like, Something like I mean it obviously was just remade and things like that, but I think those kinds are just so monumental. I would be I'd be too nervous to touch them initially, I think
0: what I would try and remake, and I'd probably ask your help on it, actually, I would ask for you to be the director. <laughs> <laughs> I think Christine needs a desperate remake. I just read it for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Loved it. And then I watched John Carpenter's film. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is just a devil car movie. This is just a rotten car. And the novel itself has very little to do with that. And it's about friendship and possession and this destruction of a family unit and none of that is in the film and you just have a really cool special effects movie for the time you're like okay like there's some cool shots i i liked it but i was like no and and what's terrible is i think the film christine that's what sticks in people's minds and so christine the novel just kind of gets swept under the rug of like oh yeah that evil car movie that evil car and you're like
1: (laughs) no i think you're gonna get your wish though i think they announced that they are doing it brian fuller who did the hannibal show i think he's doing it i don't i haven't heard anything about it in a while but i think you might get your wish and if anybody can do it he can
0: Oh my god what amazing news
1: there you go so see i'm off the hook i don't have to (laughs) to
0: (laughs) excellent i really really hope it's not an updated version of john carpenter's vision because i mean there's cool stuff it's a very cool movie in terms of how it was filmed and and what they did but it's like there's a really deep story there with these friends and what i like is king has the popular guy who is friends with the nerd and it's like Usually, you don't really see that. So there's yeah, some there's yeah. something very deep there that really could have been explored more dramatically, just better. So, oh my God, I'm, I'm hoping we get a much stronger adaptation. Yeah,
1: we might. We might.
0: That's about all I have. This has been truly amazing. So before we go, can we get, if you're allowed, any sneak preview on the next Stephen Kingdom episodes that might be up soon or in the future?
1: Yeah, we're actually in the middle of kind of revamping the channel a little bit. As you know, it's our episodes don't come out as frequently as as they should and could, uh, just because they're so immersive and long. And so we're going to be doing a lot of more short episodes that are that come out more steadily. So for the next for the foreseeable future, we basically are alternating between uh, novellas from Full Dark, No Stars and Carrie. Because Carrie, even though it's so short, is so loaded with so many things that King will carry on, uh, carry on, uh, <laughs> all his other books. We get into that kind of the, the thematic stuff that he will explore later. But also it's it's so wrapped up in, in an interesting publication history. Um, you know, Tabitha rescuing it, him kind of coming off of it making decisions on should he do another horror book or not. There's also just a whole history about the books that he wrote pre carry And, you know, some of them became the Bachman books and some of them never saw the light of day. Uh, so we get into that. So there's a lot of like shorter Carrie episodes that will kind of like come out every, I don't know, three or four weeks. And then there'll also be some Full Dark, No Stars. And then we also are are lucky enough to be able to interview a lot of uh, horror writers and people involved in Stephen King and his world to some degree. So we'll also be having interviews throughout the year as well for the channel. So for this foreseeable future, it's Full Dark, No Stars and Carrie. And we might, you know, get a wild hair up our butts and do a short story here and there. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we're deep in Carrie land currently
0: oh i love it i'm such a huge fan and because full dark no stars was the very first king title i ever read i could not be more celebratory of what you're doing it's just phenomenal and oh man the 1922 episode is so tremendous that i just (laughs) hope everybody stops everything and just go watch it Please read this short story first. You'll enjoy it so much more. I was talking to my boyfriend and so excited about today's Constant Reader interview. And he's like, don't talk too much about the rat because you love the rat. And
1: (laughs) I think I got him. I got got him right
0: here. (laughs) Oh, my God. He's so cute. This, oh my gosh. It is one of the most hysterical parts of that, but it's also so wonderfully woven in with academia, which just makes my professor heart sore. So thank you for that. Thank you for the humor and all of the wonderful content. But yeah, that rat and the rat's little bucket. Okay. I, that's oh, all the I will little say.
1: Bucket. Yeah. That was, that was hard to find. Actually. We were like, well, we need a rat sized <laughs> bucket.
0: <laughs> and,
1: uh, yeah, we, our, um, our Amazon order list is always very strange <laughs> when we have to wonder somebody at Amazon's like, what are these people up to? They're getting like costumes and all sorts of like, yeah, rap puppets. And,
0: <laughs> but I'm just a drooling fan over here for the Stephen kingdom. So this has been tremendous. Thank you so very much.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. And there's plenty more fake facial hair on the way. Yay! Ashes and beards and.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited for a good marriage. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, I've I've just finished uh writing that episode, and um, and I think we're filming some of it in December. And we just finished the Fair Extension one, so we've got a lot of fun stuff. Uh, the devil shows up in that. It's a musical. Yay! So, yeah, there's something I haven't mentioned. Yeah, yeah, it's a musical, and yeah, there's we're we're just having a, a blast trying to find different ways to just impart knowledge and also just have a good time and hopefully entertain people.
0: Well, this constant reader is just swooning for it. So thank you so much. If the weight of it is a little too immense, it is so beloved. Like I know that the people who participate in it and watch this are just like, you're just, your day is better after watching a Stephen Kingdom episode. (laughs) So thank you so much for creating it and making it as rich and wonderful as it is.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. We make it for ourselves and the fans. And so, yeah, we are fans of King and hopefully other fans like it too. And I'm glad you like it.
0: Absolutely. All right. Take care. And thank you so much, David.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: wasn't that the best? Oh my gosh. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you mega mucho to David McCracken for being so cool and kind and spending some time with us. If you would like more from David, please check out the show notes. I've listed the YouTube episode from It's Lit, where we see the beginnings of the Stephen Kingdom and it's totally great to see its inception please make sure you like and subscribe to the Stephen kingdom because we're getting more full dark, no stars soon of which I cannot wait. I am obsessed with that novella collection. You guys all know this. So if it's been a while since you've read it, I recommend giving yourself a refresh. So David's episodes will resonate a little deeper. All right, loves coming up on the year of underrated Stephen King, we have two more episodes until the end of the year. I was trying to sneak in one more book before year's end, but alas, the time will elude us. But then I remembered there really is no need to rush. We are in the marathon and non-sprint King journey. So coming up next will be my coverage on the little Bachman novel that could... Blaze, followed by our end-of-the-year recap episode, The Best of Underrated King 2022. It's completely fun, and we look back at all the titles we read this year and give away some awards for Best Hero, Best Villain, Best Fight Scene, Best Leading Lady, Best Short Story. Definitely one of my favorite episodes of the year to put forth, so if you want to check out past years, take a look at The Best of Underrated King 2021 and 2020 to get an idea of how they unfold. Once more, thank you all for being with me and spending your time with these episodes. I hope you're enjoying them, and if so, please write into the show at underratedsk at gmail and say hello. It would be tremendous to hear from you all, and I usually check the box once a day, so definitely say hi, and I'll write you back. If you would like to spread a bit of early holiday cheer, head to Audible where you can rate the show. We're featured on there now, which is totally fun, so in between novels you can access us through Audible. That's all I have for now, dear ones. Thank you all so very much. Please take care. I will be back with Blaze. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.